This is the end result. This is you on the floor, collapsed, crying, emotionally drained, and don't know what to do with your life. Olympic Channel Podcast. That was six-time Paralympic champion David Weir. I'm Ed Knowles, and this is the official Olympic Channel Podcast. Each week, we find the very best athletes and speakers, and we ask them all about the biggest talking points. Olympic Channel Podcast. So British Paralympian David Weir has won more London marathons than any other human on the planet. The difference in mood after he won his eighth title in 2018 compared to how he felt in 2017, though, was huge. His victory in 2017 was coloured by his mood following Rio 2016. After not winning any medals in Brazil, Weir had to face up to some mental issues he'd been burying since childhood. I spoke to the 39-year-old about why he wants to represent Great Britain at Tokyo 2020, the highs of London 2012, and what happened at his life-changing counselling sessions. But I began by asking him how he felt after Rio 2016. Olympic Channel Podcast. I think I was a bit bitter, angry, disappointed with myself, with things going on in my home life, with British athletics. It took me a long time to get over here, to be honest. Um, it's the first game since 96 that I didn't come away with a medal. Um, so it made me very depressed. And what went on in there, you know, what happened, happened. And I sort of realised that I need to forget about that, to be honest. If I'm ever going to get on with my life, I can't keep dwelling on the past. Um, to be honest, I thought my career was over after Rio. Um, didn't think I'd ever get back in... I knew a train, but I didn't think I'd get back to some sort of level. Um, and this was like the first couple of months after Rio. And then... Obviously, the London Marathon was coming up in, you know, in April of 2017. I do it every year, not missed one. Do I want to miss one? No. Didn't want to do it, but that made me want to not miss one because I've not missed one ever. Wasn't in the right frame of mind to do it, but made myself do it. And then I won it. So it was just like, what do I do now? Do I carry on? Do I retire? Do I stick two fingers up at British Athletics again? Do I have time off? Do I, I just didn't know what to do, to be honest. And I couldn't really celebrate that win either. I, I, it was a very weird day. It was the weirdest race. Everything just was just not me. I just didn't feel myself. I, I, I crossed that line and I couldn't celebrate. You know, I'd just broken up a record. I've just won the most London marathons ever. And I was just like, and what? Like, what, what do I, it was really weird. All my friends were there and they could see as well. I wasn't, and even halfway through that race, 
because I was so emotionally charged with everything that had gone on in my life and whatever, I, in the race, halfway through, I knew I was going to win. So I didn't know if to cry, laugh. I just couldn't, I was trying to keep my emotions in because literally my emotions were everywhere, you know, with depression and stuff like that. I didn't know, I didn't know what was going on, to be honest. And I remember thinking, I'm going to win this race today. I just knew I was going to win. And when I was going through the race, I thought, I'm going to tell the media that I've been struggling. That was my first thing. And this is through, I'm in the race, and this is what I'm thinking. And I thought, if, but if I don't win and bring it up, people are going to say, well, he's only saying that because he lost. So I had to say it. I didn't know what to do, so I had to wait to the end, and, and that's when I, I, I decided to, to mention it, which I felt was the best thing for me to do. And actually, once I'd done that, I started to open up a bit more to people and stuff like that. What was that like immediately after that win in 2017 then? So did you start reassessing everything that you were doing? Did, is, that, is that when the real kicker of reassessment started no i i, I didn't want to i didn't want to do nothing else i didn't want to race didn't want to train didn't want to do anything i felt like i just wanted to prove a point to people i think a little bit uh, and mentally i wasn't i wasn't right and i needed to sort out my own problems to be honest um mentally i just didn't want to be around people i didn't want to be around the sport you know, I didn't even go to my academy because I couldn't be around. And I thought that was the problem. And it wasn't, it was my head that was the, the problem. And, I, and I, I realised that I needed to go and sort that out um, and get help and, um, yeah, and, and look after number one for a bit instead of pleasing everyone else. So what was the difference between those two moments in 2017 and, and 2018? I think it's like a calendar year, but I guess the emotions are completely opposite, right? I felt a different person in that race. Uh, I felt like a different person at the end. I was celebrating it with my friends. Um, I felt like I could do the interviews properly, you know, instead of, not lying, but pretending that I really enjoyed the 2017 when I didn't. It, it was just weird, and I could just be myself instead of trying to hold back. And, and that's what I did in the press conference after. So I did all my interviews at, pretty much in my racing chair, and then I went on stage, and that's when I said, yeah, I've been struggling. And that was just a release to, to tell people that, yeah. and. This year, I, I felt I could actually be more happy and, and more joyful about the, the experience than just pretending that I really liked it. So, so let's go right back to uh, Atlanta 1996. For you being 17, USA, like you've seen all what's gone on like in, in the Olympics. How proud were you to represent Great Britain uh, when you were getting on the plane, packing your bag, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, I remember receiving a phone call on my birthday um, uh, to say that we were going. Um, 
and it was the proudest moment, you know. I, I wanted this wow factor, you know. I got the wow factor of putting on a GB vest or getting my kit, you know, turning up the team and going, going to America was amazing, going to the holding camp and then, you know, going to the first, you know, the opening ceremony, seeing there was a big crowd for the opening ceremony. I thought, wow, this is going to be something special. And then you, you turn the TV on for the first track events and you see a handful of people there. And you just think, okay, first day, it might pick up. And then it just didn't pick up. And I just thought, I'm not getting a wow factor, what I thought I was going to get. You know, as a 17-year-old, I just wanted to be blown away and think, well, I can't wait for Sydney. And it done the opposite to me, to be honest. It done the complete opposite. It made me not want to do it anymore. I just didn't think there would be a future in, in Paralympic sport in, in, in the world and in the same breath as the Olympics. I was proved wrong, when I, in Sydney. So. <laughs> and, I, and I didn't go. So, um, yeah. But, and literally when I saw Sydney on TV and, and realised that I'd done something wrong, um, I promised myself that I'd never miss a Paralympics again. So let's fast forward from there, from being that young 17-year-old and to and being slightly disappointed to that moment when you realise, I think I, I can remember the exact moment when London were awarded the Games. Like I was in the kitchen. I didn't expect it to be real, you know, like, and I was like, wow, that is such good news. Like I was absolutely buzzing. I don't know how that would feel if you, for someone like you, it's like, I'm going to be at that Games. Like, that must be something really special. I was travelling back from Switzerland, I think, and I was in Gatwick, and it, I was literally coming through the terminal, and it come over the, 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 the Tanai that we've just won the Games. And my, my emotions were just like, I can't, I can't believe it, we've won it. And I remember going home and watching the TV clips and seeing Danny Crates jumping up and down in central London on the stage and stuff like that. And I thought, yes, we, we, you know, we've got this. And then obviously seeing David Beckham over in, was it Singapore? Just everyone there. And I just thought, this is, this is going to be absolutely amazing. I can't wait. Um, yeah, and, it, and then it was just a journey from there, wasn't it? And it was, uh, you know really memorable for you four gold medals three at the olympic stadium which was absolutely rocking like full and then do you know what the getting on the podium was was is the proudest moment really you know singing that national anthem on the first for my first so i did the, sorry i did the 1500 uh heat in the morning and then i was getting my medal for the 5k at the last end of the session of the morning session and they come in to me and they said 85 people, 85,000 people have stayed to sing the national anthem with you. I was like, really? I got more nervous about that than actually getting into my race chair and racing. And, but actually getting on the podium and singing and, and obviously hearing that crowd sing, it was just, the, the noise level was just truly amazing. Truly amazing. I'll never forget it. What a moment! It's uh, it's and it's all it's all on you. That's the thing. Did you did you think that all of this was maybe a little bit too much when you look back at it? And you know those those huge highs maybe were what triggered what came next. Yeah, I think so. I, I've, I've sat down on my own and, and 
you know, realised that at the time I didn't, the pressure wasn't there. I didn't didn't have any pressure going into the games. To you know, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I, I just, you know, I used to, when people say, oh, you, do you feel pressurised? I'm like, no, I'll just turn up and race. That's what I'm good at. And that, and that was my attitude. And they used to say, but yeah, but it's the Olympic, it's the Paralympic Games, it's in your home city. I said, yeah, but I turn up for the London Marathon every year and people think I'm going to win. So that was my attitude going into the, I've got to win because people think I'm going. So maybe I'll put pressure on myself. You know, I've got to win, I've got to win. And I think after London, I think me and other people just assumed that I was going to win. I remember going to Doha for the World Championships. Great shape, you know, felt fantastic. I had a bit of a problem with my racing chair before I got there. I had to have it re-welded and stuff like that. But that wasn't a problem, it still worked. So I got there. Um, got a silver medal but I remember being in every call room and going don't want to be here I don't want to be here and I think that was just pressure of people even like I'm blaming British athletics but British athletics think right he's going he's going to win three gold medals or how many events I'm doing he's and it was just pre they never put pressure on me but I'm just saying I felt like that because you know, and then you think, well, if I don't win three gold medals, you know, the squad's going to suffer with, with money next year. And I felt that pressure all the time, you know. They, they, you know, it, it just, it was a pressure like that. They never said that to me, but I felt it myself that if I don't win, they might not get lottery funding. Or, you know, if I don't win four gold medals, they're not going to hit their target. Do you know what I mean? It, it, I just felt like that all the time. Um, and, that, and that's what I felt like in Doha. I just felt... I don't want to be here. The pressure was too much. I was putting too much pressure on myself and everyone else. And, and maybe Rio was a bit of a bit of a push for the track racing and everything else. And um, yeah, I don't know. But that's how I felt going into to Doha. I think it's maybe the crowd. Are you feeding off the crowd a little bit? There was no crowd in Doha. No, but then that's what I mean. You feed, If you feed off the oh, crowd. Oh, you mean feed to give you that extra... No, because I didn't. No, because I've never raced well in the Olympic Stadium since. I haven't. To be honest with you, I've not. And I wish I savoured that moment and never raced in that stadium again. Do you think that that maybe your physical condition wasn't tip top in Rio as well, or do you put it all on the mental side? My physical was the best it'd been. Um, I went to the European Championships in uh, Italy, Grosseto, in June. I, I got the fastest time in the world for a 400. You know, I was doing distances and speeds and times that I've never done before. So no, I don't think it was that. It was a number of things, you know, uh, probably missing the, my 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 fourth child's birth, you know, should have been there. Um, things at home wasn't great, you know, just a number of things to be honest. Um, didn't want to be in that environment anymore. Don't know, but in Italy, I, I felt great. I felt, yeah, I thought, wow, I'm in great shape. And as soon as I got to Rio, it just went. Shoo. Don't know, just couldn't. 
from day one, getting there. Just couldn't get into the groove of everything. Just, I remember, so my first race, smashed the 400, lane seven, fastest time out there, and I wasn't pushing 100%, because I was saving myself. And I thought, sweet, great. Final's gonna be interesting. Yes, I know I'm gonna have to push 100%. And I just started tinkering with things. I never do that. I just, you know, I just didn't feel that was right. Didn't, and every time I got on the warm-up track, I felt different. Didn't feel right. Them tyres don't feel right. That pressure don't feel right. Them gloves don't feel right. This, I never get that. I usually go, right, that's set, done. Get ready for the, for the final. Final went rubbish. You know, I got fifth. Should have, should have won. The guy that won, uh, Kenny Van Weigel, done exactly the same time as me in the, in the semi. And I know, because when I come off the track, I knew I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't pushing 100%, so I knew there was more to give. It just didn't go right. Then I started tinkering with things again, taking tyres, trying this, trying different things. And I remember Simon Lawson, who's one of our marathon specialists, he said to me, what are you doing? I said, well, this don't feel right. He said, but that ain't you. You don't tinker. You, 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 you're set. You, you know. I said, yeah, but I'm trying to pr make it right. And he said, but it is right, but it's just something's not right. We, but we couldn't work out what it was, you know. And obviously it was my mental state, to be honest. My mental mind was just somewhere else and didn't want to be there. And My physical state was, was great, to be honest. Because there was a moment, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, that you were uh, accused of not giving your all in one of the relay races by one of the British coaches, uh, which you've said was really upsetting and something that you uh, you really took, took to heart. F from what I've always wondered about that event was that, can you see now maybe from a little bit from there, side because it must have been so frustrating they could see that you were in peak physical but you know you had all the tools there and is there a part of you that is coming can see it from their point of view now or are you still is it still really raw i can no i just felt like they needed to blame someone and i was an easy target because it wasn't going so well that week no one else had a problem it was just one person and it was just a manner of the way she spoke to me that I didn't really respect, to be honest. And it was just one person that didn't like me when they got the job anyway. So, it, you know, it can't be, it can't, yeah, I can't see it, but it wasn't that, no. It was just, uh, she had it out for me from, the gate, from day one, to be honest. That's the way I felt. I know whenever I've had moments like that in my in my life when there's been a, a flashpoint and you replay that moment over and over again, like, should I have done this different? I wish I'd done that. You know, like, the it, it, how many times has that moment just been like... Look, if I didn't... Let's get this straight. If I didn't want to do the relay or didn't want to put 100% in the relay, when we went to Italy we was the fastest team in the world. And, I'd all, and I said, we, we, the, the agreement was, I'd always do the relay, but my other races are more important to me. I'm not saying I'm not gonna do it. I will help the team 101%. Now, if I didn't want to do the 
relay in Rio, I wouldn't have done it in Italy. I said it, and I said, look, this would be a good test of us to see where we are in the world. And I think if we, if we, we pull this out in Italy, we can win a medal in Rio. Now, if I was, you know, if I was going to throw a race, why would I say all them things? It's me who's going to win a medal as well. You know, I might not like the rest of the team or they don't like me, but they need me and I need them. So we're going to win a medal. So why, why would I go into a race thinking, I, because it had gone bad all week. So if I won a Rio medal, it might have lifted me up for the marathon. So one of your other coaches, your long-time coach, Jenny Archer, she was the person um, who suggested when you came back from Rio that it might be time for some counselling and uh, to try and get your, get your mental state back in, in order. Is that correct? It was a mixture of uh, a number of people. Um, Jenny's always been my um, counsellor anyway, <laughs> to be honest. She's been, um, from day one, you know, been my counsellor, but she knew deep down there was, there was other problems going on and she said that I needed help out of the environment. No one into sport, no one that really knew me, do it independently, you know, just take yourself away. And I didn't really listen to her until after that marathon in 2017. Even when my friend said, look, you, you need help. You need to go and do something. So that's when I decided to, you know, go and see a counsellor that didn't know me. And yeah, you know, I went on, on my own, didn't tell people where I was going, just done it all on my own back. And, and that's, that's what I did for, for a while. How nervous were you going into those first sessions? Especially, you've said before that you were you were crying and on the floor, and it's that's tough. It's tough to go and say I want to go and do that because it's a bit. It's it's. But this way, it's easier not, isn't it? It's easier not to bother and go and attack all those problems. I suppose it was probably the worst drive I've ever done. To be honest, um, I didn't know what to expect. Well, deep down, I knew what was going to happen. I knew I wouldn't be able to talk for the first half an hour because I couldn't, because I knew what the thing she was going to talk about. And I couldn't because I was just emotionally crying and sitting on the floor and I couldn't even talk. And this is when she said that this has been going on in your mind for a long time. She said, you've had this since childhood. And then when I started talking about my childhood and being disabled and stuff like that, and I said I used to cry to sleep every night about being disabled and used to ask the questions, why, why did God pick me? And, and you know, all things like that. And never showed my emotions to my family. I never spoke to my mum and dad about my disability. And, you know, they probably went through tough times as well. But I never asked about it. And I just think I bottled things up for years and years and years. And she said, this is just, a, you know, from, from your childhood as well. You've had so many emotions and so many things to deal with in your lifetime. You know, being number one wheelchair racer in the world to winning medals, you know, dealing with your disability when you were younger, relationships, breakdowns, breakdowns with, with you know, your, your kids mother and stuff like that it, it's all built up and built up and you, your mind couldn't take it anymore and this is this is the end result this is you on the floor 
collapse, crying, emotionally drained and don't know what to do with your life. But you have to go through that, I suppose, in order to rebuild. And um, how, 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 and also that just, it reminds me of that moment at 2018 at the London Marathon where you are showing that moment of joy. Do you, do you feel re-energized? Do you feel like letting all those emotions out and finally talking about the past and dealing with disability has really given you an extra edge and a your mental strength? Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm a lot happier, a lot... Uh, yeah, I don't know. I just feel mentally, physically stronger than I've been for a number of years, to be honest, and enjoying things more instead of putting pressure on myself just to enjoy things, especially in racing, you know. I just had to go back and enjoy it, enjoy the training. Um, yeah, like now when I've had two weeks off after New York, my, Jenny was the one that said, I said a week, can I have just a week off because I don't want to lose too much? She said, no, just have two weeks off because you've had a busy summer, you know. And, and I couldn't wait to get back in my chair. So that's a good sign, to be honest. You know, I'm 39. I've been racing since I was eight, you know. So it's just like, that's a bl bloody good sign if you, you know, you're 39, you can't wait to get in your race chair because you've got Tokyo Marathon in March, you know. So, yeah. The two weeks off done me good. And uh, I couldn't wait to, to get back training, which is a, was a great sign. That's when I know I'm mentally strong, because you usually go, oh, should I have another week? And then it's a month, and then you're like, should I have another week? And then it comes up to Christmas, you're like, should I just get Christmas out of the way? And then, and then it just gets harder and harder and harder. And obviously you put on weight and stuff like that, and you're not physically strong or fit like you were back in November for the New York Marathon. So it was just like, right, that's enough time. I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. I want to get back. And Tokyo, uh, well, Tokyo 2020 is the big goal, I suppose. Is there some unfinished business in the marathon? Would you like, would, I, I guess it would be uh, tough to miss out if you've not missed one yet, like you've said, to watch from afar have you thought about that yet, or are you uh, just taking each day as it comes? What, about going or what? About going to Tokyo 2020. If and, I get and selected, then... yeah. But, you know, I've got a good relationship with Paula Dunn. You know, that, that, that wasn't the problem in Rio. You know, Paula was, you know, she'd put an arm around me. and we'd, You know, even in Rio, we sat down and had a coffee together. We... Um, you know, we was, we was talking loads and we've had that relationship since and, you know, I asked her about, it was a few months ago, you know, when it all came out, I, I messaged her first and said, you know, I'm doing all right in the marathons. Now, if I, would you consider me selection for 2020? And... And she said, are you joking? No, I said, no, if I'm still like competing with the top three in the world, would you consider me for selection for just the marathon? So she rung me and said, are you being serious? I said, yeah, look, I'm thinking about it. I've you know, had discussions with my agency, with family and friends. You know, I'm enjoying the sport again. You know, we, me and you have had a great relationship from day one. 
would you consider me if I'm, I'm still, she said, look, you're the best marathon guy in the world still, in my eyes, um, of course, you know, if, if you're going to be there or thereabouts, then, you know, obviously I'm going to put your name up for selection as long as you want to be there. So it was a no-brainer. For, to- for Tokyo 2020, if that moment did happen where you pulled on that GB vest, would you, there be any regrets or would it all be just moving forward? You know, it was painful for me to say I'll never wear a GB vest again. That was probably the hardest thing I've ever said in my life because I've wore, I've put on a GB vest since the age of 12. You know, my first international in Ireland in the senior squad, you know, and it, it, it's the proudest moment you, you're ever, you're ever doing, especially for the first Paralympics in, in Atlanta. You know, putting that vest on then is exactly the same way I felt every time I put one on. So yeah, it will, it will feel great to, you know, get your kit, go through it all, go, wow, that looks great, that looks great, you know. So I do feel, feel great to, to, to put that on and, and, and represent Great Britain again. And 2019 is going to be tough if you want to be getting to Tokyo 2020. Yeah. Are you... uh... (laughs) It's going to be tough. Um, Obviously, next London, I think, might be... I'm not sure if it's been announced yet, but I think it might be a World Championship marathon. So that might be the first time that I've worn a GB vest since Tokyo. Sorry, not Tokyo, since Rio. Um, I'm not sure. If I get selected... All eyes on uh, <laughs> London Marathon for certain with a lot of other people. But yeah, best of luck with it all. I'm, I'm looking forward to see what's going to go going to happen. Thank you, mate. Appreciate it. Olympic, Olympic Channel, Channel Podcast. Big thanks to David for that interview and also to John Bretherton who filmed and recorded the sound on that one too. Thank you very much. If you are affected by any of the issues David raises, then please do speak to someone about it. I've put a few links in the episode description, but there are loads more groups out there for people who need it. Just reach out. David was also racing in the Superhero Series on Sunday Just Gone, which aims to create fun, full throttle, mass participation challenges where people with disabilities call the shots and don't have to worry about cut-off times or equipment restrictions. Again, there's a little link into the episode description if you want to know more about that. Last week's episode was one of the best performing ever had. US gymnast John Orozco told us about family tragedy, coming from the Bronx, missing Rio 2016, and becoming a singer. So thank you, Jessica. We've av- <laughs> That wasn't the only really amazing tweet, to be honest. We've had an absolute ton of positive feedback about that episode. It really is one of the best that we've done, if you want to go and check it out. Right, if you like this episode, then do give us a review on iTunes, a five-star one. That would be absolutely excellent. And if you've liked us for a while and not subscribed, then, you know, let's make it official. There's no time like the present. Give us a subscribe now. Over those things to help us go up in the charts, so that would be sweet. Get in touch with any questions or requests. We are at Olympic Channel on all social platforms. Go and give us a follow on there. I, personally, am at Eddie Knowles with an I and an E. If you want to find me, that is it. That's all for now. See you next time. Think like an Olympian. Olympian.